Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast with my wrap-up episode of 2020, a year I'll be happy to put behind me for a lot of reasons, but the Bird Banner Podcast is not one of those reasons. I've had a lot of fun this year. Anyway, uh, I do this podcast primarily for fun. But one of the cool things I get to do in this podcast is talk to birders, and not just birders, but birders with different lenses to look at their birding passion through. Birders come in lots of flavors. There are all sorts of angles that people take to fuel their passion for birds and birding. Uh, I've had musicians on this show. Stephanie Seymour, in episode number 52, came out with her album this year, There Are Birds. Check it out. Andrew Emlin, uh, on episode number 66, is not just a Skamania County Birder Supreme. He is a musician in the Skamania Swamp Opera. Whoever heard of a swamp opera? I'd never heard of a swamp opera, but I know about it now. I actually bought his album, and I like it. Some of my guests are authors. Actually, a lot of my guests are authors, but most of them have written books about birding, either bird identification guides, field guides, how to find bird guides, that sort of thing. Well, Susie Gilbert is a bird rehabber. I learned a lot about bird rehabbing when I talked with her, but also a novelist. She just put out her novel this year called Fly Away. It's a fun read. Check it out. Fly Away by uh, Susie Gilbert. She was my guest on episode number 55. I've had scientists and educators. I've had Peter Hodum on number 70 and Peter Wimberger, two Peters, uh, on number 30, both professors at UPS and had great stories to tell. Dennis Paulson, who I, he could fall into literally any category I want. Author, maybe not musician, but author, uh, scientist, birder supreme, educator, just all-round fabulous birder. He's my guest on number 68, and I really had fun talking to him. I've had ornithologists. I had Jeffrey Hill, number 21, who talked a lot about species, speciation, what makes a species. He has a theory on that. Really cool to learn about in episode 21. And Roger Letterer, who's a retired ornithologist who has the ornithology.com blog uh, and puts out a nice article about uh, some little special niche of ornithology or birds every week. You should check that out too. Of course, I've had a lot of straight-up fabulous birders. I'm not even going to mention names because I would leave out people, and some of the guests I've had are just really good birders. Put me to shame by a far, but were really fun to talk to, and I learned a lot. Well, my guest on this episode looks at birding from a different perspective. He is a traveler, really a professional traveler, who also happens to be a good birder who birds in many of the places he travels to. A lot of us bird when we go traveling, but Jason travels to places and does outdoor adventures that are above and beyond what many of us would feel up to doing, certainly more than what I would feel up to doing. And I think you'll enjoy, as I enjoyed hearing, his travel adventures and his birding stories. I also learned a little about birding Costa Rica, which is important to me because my daughter lives there and I hope to spend a good deal of time in Costa Rica. But I have to say, I really found his birding story a fascinating one. I think you'll enjoy also the Bird Banner podcast episode number 68 with Jason Westlake. Jason, thanks for being on the Bird Banner podcast today. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Ed. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so you are a uh, now, I could be wrong, but I, I know you know my daughter, and I think you're from Canada via the United States for education and now in Costa Rica. Is that correct? That's correct. I, I grew up in the U.S. in Arizona, lived about ten about a decade in Vancouver, Canada, 
came to Costa Rica about three years ago. Okay. So tell me that story. That's got to be a good story. How did you end up living in Costa Rica? And you're not in, just in Costa Rica. You are way, I, I know where you live because my daughter has a place near there. It's way down by Playa Chiquita, way almost to Panama on the Caribbean coast. Is that correct? That's correct. I'm, in fact, the best bird watching place I go to up on this tower, you can see Panama from that tower. Is that the Hawk Watch Tower? Uh, that's correct, where, where you see all the hawks passing through. Yeah, I tried to get to that when I was visiting Jean a couple of years ago, but it was in the late summer, right after the monsoons, and there'd been a huge landslide, and the whole way to it was blocked off. And it's a it's a crazy story. Uh, I mean, we yeah, slipped I and slid that. around trying to get there. Some guy who must have been eighty five years old kept to help us. He got his machete out and hacked off a little <laughs> walking stick, and it was the coolest thing. <laughs> anyway, that's, yeah. a, that's a whole other story. So tell me about your place and, and tell me your story. Okay, so we we were up in Vancouver. My wife's a yoga teacher, and so we had a yoga studio up in Canada for three years. I'm a traveler. I. I had traveled to Peru like three or four times. I've been to 27 countries. I actually got into birdwatching in 2012 when I was going to the Amazon jungle in Peru to, to see jaguars and other wildlife, mm. you know. And I spent a month with scientific researchers there in Peru. And we, we, we were camping out in the middle of nowhere. I'm talking like a day by car from Cusco down to the jungle and then two days by boat upstream into the middle of nowhere wow like like 100 miles from any civilization except for the uncontacted tribes and so we were camping out along an oxbow lake for 35 days and i did see jaguars which was amazing but along the way they also showed us so many other animals and we saw hundreds of bird species like the blue the blue and yellow macaw the red and green macaw the scarlet macaw and like seven other macaws and and hundreds of others of parrots and tanagers and toucans and all these things that just really blew my mind that I didn't even know existed. And that's how I started to get into bird watching. That well, that's a, that's a drinking from the fire hydrant there. I mean, you just had to, I mean, even as a birder, when I go to the tropics, I'm overwhelmed by the new bird families and the so many colorful birds all over the place. It's great. Oh, we were, it was crazy for us. I mean, I had no, I had no idea about bird watching. I, I just wanted to see all the wildlife and the jaguars and things. And we saw so much stuff. And then to see like, you know, what, like 40 or 50 or 60 of these species a day, just kind of like, like rapid fire. It was like drinking from a fire hose that first week I was there. It was so overwhelming and with all the sounds and the colors and, and everything, especially in the, in the cloud forest at, uh, at uh, Cock of the Rock Lodge. That was just spectacular. That I've was, heard that's a fabulous place. And that was my first time bird watching was at Cock of the Rock Lodge. You know, wow. <laughs> you want to go downhill from there, right? Um, well, I don't know. You can try to stay, try to stay uh, flat, you know. <laughs> but okay, so I, so that's how I got into bird watching, and so I would take my clients. I was like a sales coach, and I would take my clients once a year on a trip around the world. I we did like kayaking with killer uh, killer whales and humpbacks, and then my wife got a yoga studio. And I love traveling. I'd always wanted to live abroad. I spoke Spanish. We'd talked about living in Costa Rica. We actually lived in Taiwan for seven months back in like 2011. Mm -hmm. And then we came back. And then we, the I don't know, just the idea of a retreat center, like doing a yoga retreat center, just mm -hmm. really made, like it made a lot of sense. So we, after our, our second one was born, we 
we uh, I went online and I googled like yoga retreat centers for sale in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. And the place that we bought like was one of the first places I saw. So we went, we flew down to Costa Rica three months later. We, as soon as we set foot on site, we just, you know, you get like how you get that feeling. Like you just know it's the place. You know, it's right. Yeah. And so we put a deposit down six weeks later and six months later, we moved to Costa Rica and it was hard running the studio up there and do, doing it down here and making the transition. But we're so happy that we did, especially given this year. Yes, it's it sounds like it's a pretty good place to be isolated. It's easy. It's easy to socially distance here. Just so that uh, uh, people know, it, there's that one main road that goes from Puerto Nueva down south to Playa Chiquita. You're on somewhere on the hill on the inland side of that. I'm assuming. So we so there's the one main paved road that goes right. from Rome to Puerto Viejo down to Manzanillo, and mm-hmm. we're we're on the we're right there on the paved road on the mountain side. Um, okay. It was about a five minute walk from the beach. I guess it's like about a eight, five kilometers from, or, or three miles from Puerto Viejo in Playa Chiquita. Right. You're right. On the right. And, and for people who haven't been there, that's a wonderful bike ride from Playa Chiquita to Puerto Viejo. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, 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 it's said three miles of five kilometers and it's a, it's a narrow road, but everybody goes slow. There aren't very many cars, you know, the bikes that are there are not 10 speed racing bikes. They're, you know, uh, various vintages of beach cruisers sort of bikes. And uh, and so it's just a delightful little, you know, just pedal along, you know, Puta Vida, no hurry, get there. It's just wonderful. Well, and for our, for our Saturday dates, my wife and I will often uh, walk along the beach into town, which is a, a really oh, fun to do, like at sunset or sunrise along the beach. That's oh, I bet that's spectacular. Yeah. And there aren't huge tides down there. And if you have to swim here and there, life goes on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not such a bad life. So uh, you, you got into birding about, what, four or five, five, five years ago or something like that. Uh, and it sounds like you are you uh, swallowed the hook, line, and sinker on that, that you're all over birding. You, t- you take some groups around, you told me. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I had already been taking other groups around traveling for different places. And then obviously my business here as a retreat center is we bring people here to Costa Rica all the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in January, I'm taking like a group of four people from the bird watching club here in Costa mm-hmm. Rica. And we're going to the Marañón Valley in Northern Peru, which is another one of the circuits uh, in Peru. It has a lot like hundreds of lifers for us and a lot of endemics and like the marvelous spotted tail and the white winged guan and, and, and other endemic species like that. Sounds like a great trip. Do you, your retreat center is more of a holistic sort of approach to thing. You probably don't get hardcore birders there much. Um, no, well, not really even in this area. It's interesting. All around Costa Rica, you have bird watching clubs, professional bird guides. Right. All over Costa Rica. And there is nothing here in Puerto Viejo. There's no professional bird guides. Not hmm. one. There's like some naturalists who do some bird watching like Abel and Alex, but I can't find one. There's no bird watching club. I don't even have a friend who's a bird watcher here in Puerto Viejo that I can go out with on a regular basis. That is something I, I, I guess, I don't know. There aren't that many people there. And it's also a kind of a new agey sort of community. At least that was my take on it. That's, <laughs> that's probably a stereotype that's, that's unwarranted, but no, it seems like a whole, whole lot of people who are just not, uh, uh, driven 
to maybe be listers, at least as bird watchers. We, uh, it is very much a new age, holistic hippie community for the most part, yoga, spirituality. In fact, that's how I met your son was at a men's group. Oh, okay. Uh, we went at our, at our retreat center, at our retreat center. Oh, okay. Cool. And he came yeah. and we started chatting and that was fun. So. Yeah, I think you actually got out uh, an early morning trip with me. It's a funny. Brett called me up and said, Dad, guess what? I'm going bird watching. I said, really? That's cool. He says, you know how I know this guy's serious? I said, how? He says, we're leaving at 5 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he's got to be a good bird if he leaves at 5 in the morning. <laughs> exactly. That's best time to go out. Best time to go out for sure. <laughs> so, so you're you're better than I am. You can get Brett to go out birding. Although I have to say, I met Brett in uh, Cambodia a, a couple of years ago for uh, uh, around the holidays sort of time, and uh, in Thailand and Cambodia. And he he dedicated a full day of birding in both Thailand and Cambodia with me. So uh, I, I guess I'm not jealous of you getting him to go birding. He went with me well, too. On, on that same walk that we did here in Manzanillo. We came mm-hmm. across a 900-year-old mountain almond tree. Oh, my goodness. Very cool. So there, I mean, so you see birds and you see lots of other cool stuff too. Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, do you lead specific birding trips other than with your birding friends or not? So f- with, all the, with all the yoga retreats that come to our center, mm-hmm. a lot of ladies in their 50s and 60s. So I will like do beginners bird watchers for people that haven't really done it before and right. I take out i mean actually out of a group of 10 ladies there's always like two or three of them that want to go out and, and see it and we'll go out and see the 40 species at a time so i do take out groups i i'm much better with beginners bird watching like i'm not a prof- i wouldn't say i'm a professional guide although you know i do yeah. studying all the everything in this area as much as mm-hmm. i very cool. Uh, so, uh, have you birded much? Uh, or, it sounds like you've traveled a lot. Have you? Uh, I'm guessing with young kids, you're maybe traveling around the world a little less than you might have used to. I actually had to reschedule four trips in 2020. Oh, so you still have quite a bit of uh, travel on the agenda. Well, I had less travel the last five years because we had small kids and we were start like right. we were either a kid or starting a business or, or moving countries. So now that those things are out of the way. I had four trips scheduled this last year. I had a mountain climbing trip to Peru, a bird watching trip to Peru, uh, chimpanzees and gorillas in Africa, and visiting family in Australia that I all had to reschedule. Oh, boy. Well, the, the time will come around. I do have them all scheduled for 2021 now. So, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Hopefully that'll work out. Uh, how are things in Costa Rica now with COVID? I still am dying to get there. I just, boy, I'm missing my daughter and missing travel. Well, so right now... All the borders are completely open and there's no restrictions, no negative COVID tests that you have to get. Costa Rica opened their borders a couple months ago and they're kind of welcoming everyone in right now because a lot of their economy depends on tourism. Right. And it's actually much safer than the U.S. Uh, you, uh, you know, U.S. is number one in the world. They like to be number one. Whenever They're number one, yeah. But Costa Rica has been very consistent, very flat in the new number of cases that they've had over the last three months. Mm-hmm. So it's not escalating there, at least. No, it's not escalating. I mean, it's here just like it is in a lot of other countries. Sure. But there's social distancing, you know, guidelines when you're here, and it is possible to come. So. Yeah. So I'm hoping. I'm hoping. We'll see. I tentatively 
later in January, I'm going to come, but it's, yeah, I'm going to play it by ear. We'll see how that works. Okay. It works. So tell me more about your retreat center. What, what it's a yoga center and other holistic sort of things go on there. What do you do at your retreat center? Yeah. Like I would say, about and, tell us how to pronounce the name again. Okay. So it's called Tierra de Sueños Lodge and Tierra de Sueños means land of dreams. In oh, see. Okay. And I would say almost all of what we do are m- like mostly yoga retreats. Every once in a while, we'll get like a fitness retreat or like a spiritual retreat or just, you know, your, uh, and then whenever we can't like fill up all the rooms, we'll have some like hotel guests come in. But we typically do seven night retreats from Saturday to Saturday and provide three locally sourced vegetarian meals per day, two yoga classes per day. We have an infrared sauna and, and then we'll have groups that will come from us and Canada. Yoga teachers Mm -hmm. often bring their students and then they come for like, yeah, like a holistic week to go deeper in their yoga practice, take some time off, take some time to reflect what's, you know, most important to them. They'll do meditation. And then there's other groups that are more active that come and they want to hike to the waterfalls and do zip lining and, snorkeling and surfing and those types of things sure so there's certainly lots to do in that area that there's no question about that uh in terms of uh, birding costa rica have you gotten around the country pretty extensively yeah actually i have i've seen uh, over 500 species out of 900 species in the country mm-hmm. so i i've gotten around to a lot of different places and there's still some places that i need to go back to Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a previous guest on who's a guide in Co- Patrick O'Donnell, who's a guide yeah. uh, in Costa Rica that I, I actually looked up. I was, goes back to COVID story. I was planning on spending two or three weeks in Costa Rica on my way to Peru uh, last oh. April, Marchish April timeframe. And they locked the country down and that all fell through. Uh, but I had some days with uh, Thomas O'Donnell set up to go birding and that, Obviously didn't work out, but it sounds like he's one of the top uh, guides in the country. And uh, yeah, if if uh, a person wanted to come bird in Costa Rica, if, if you had only modest or very little uh, tropical birding experience, but you spoke enough Spanish to feel like you could get by, yep. and how comfortable should a person feel just flying in, renting a car and going birding versus uh, hiring a guide. Obviously, see more birds if you hire a guide. But in terms of just getting around and uh, safety and, and finding your way around, how, how, how would somebody make out just doing it on their own? Uh, I mean, you can always see stuff on your own, but you always – my personal preference is to always take a guide. I mean, I have the number of like, you know, 12 or 13 different guides in, in Costa Rica that are specialists in different spots that, I, that I'll go and call up. And I've also gone by myself before too. I mean, I've done it mm-hmm. both ways. And you, safety, you're fine. Renting a car, absolutely, you can rent a car if you just look up the hotspots. I mean, you can you can easily look up the hotspots and go to those hotspots. But I would I would say your best shot is with a guide. And the and the reason why is the guide they know their spots. They know where to sure. see. They know where to see the birds. Like, for example, when we went to Monte Verde, there mm-hmm. were some owls that we wouldn't have seen if the guy didn't know that they were there. And right. Chidiki quail dove, same thing. They knew exactly where it was at. And, you, you know, there's a lot of specialist birds that you'll see only with, like that you have, you'll see much easier with the guide. All the common birds you can see on your own. You there's know? nothing like local knowledge. That's for sure. Yeah. So Yeah. Cool. Uh, that was sort of what I figured, but it, it's good to know because it, 
if I get to come visit, I'm going to be there for a while. And it's good to know that you can feel pretty comfortable just cruising around, checking things out. Uh, maybe you won't see as many birds, but I'm not going to hire a guy every single day I'm there. Uh, and I, <laughs> well, I'll probably bird. I'll probably bird every single day I'm there, uh, but or at least uh, to some degree. Well, I'll take uh, you so. around this area, and then uh, there's some there's some spots elsewhere in Costa Rica if you have time that we can we can go do some of that stuff. Yeah, that sounds sounds like a great plan. So it sounds like you are a pretty uh, avid outdoors person. You do a lot of stuff besides just birding. What other sort of uh, outdoor activity passions do you have? Oh man, uh, like so. In June, we're going to go climb Mount Pisco up at 18,000 feet. It's as high as Kilimanjaro. It's a five-day hike. Wow. Where is that? I don't I don't know that mountain. It's in Peru. It's in the Cordillera Blanca in central Peru. So I, I Okay. That. Is that technical climbing or is it just a high hike? It's just a high hike. Uh, you do go on a snow field and you are roped in. It's not too mm-hmm. technical. I have been on like Mount Baker in Canada and I go backpacking a lot uh, yeah. with, with friends. I've done kayaking. Uh, basically I'm willing to do anything physical to get to any beautiful place or see any animal or, you know, I, I love remote areas too. Sounds like you're up for a, an active life. Very cool. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Uh, so uh, you mentioned uh, that you've been around Costa Rica. Get, name three or four of your favorite places that you've been that were just like, God, the birding was good. Okay. One of my favorite okay, where the bird watching was really good. Okay. So I really like Monte. I like Monte, Monte Verde. Um, I like Las Tablas. Now Las Tablas is down in the South of Costa Rica and we must've seen at least 13 or 14 capsules there. Wow. In like, that's probably the best place I know to see lots of capsules. Whereas if you go to some other places, you might see one or two. Right. Another favorite place is um, San Gerardo de Dota. That's it. San Gerardo. That's a really, really good spot. Monte Verde is good. San Gerardo de Dota, Las Tablas and um, Tapanti, which is by, it's close to Rancho Naturalista, but Tapanti is also a favorite spot of mine as well. Very nice. Uh, so uh, it sounds like you've you've named some, some some high elevation places, some places that aren't so high elevation. I know that when I go visit Jean, she lives uh, just uh, uh, southwest of uh, San Jose at modest elevation. That within an hour's drive of where she lives, I can get to high elevation birds. I can get yeah. to the coast. I can get yeah. to just a big variety of uh, yeah. habitats. So I'm expecting yeah. to see a lot of birds if I can spend some time there. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. And then there's different spots where you have more likelihood of seeing different kinds of birds. So if you go around, you go to a constellation of places, you'll you'll do very well. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, it should be really, really fun. Uh, what other uh, uh, Latin American places have you birded? It's obviously been to Peru. I, uh, Peru here. Uh, I've been to Panama, but I, I haven't done. It's only in the northwest corner. It's, it's pretty much the same habitat here where I'm at. And then mm-hmm. I've been to Guatemala as well, too. And I really like Guatemala as well. Yeah, I, I birded Guatemala for six days with uh, Claudia... Uh, Oh, I can't remember her last name, but she and her partner are the two primary uh, guides in Guatemala and shipped me around for six days. And oh my goodness, it was really, really fun. My favorite one there is the pink-headed warbler. Wasn't that great? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I went to that 
uh, it was we were driving up a slope towards uh, a more mountain sort of place, and it was maybe six, six or seven thousand feet. It was pretty good elevation, and it was kind of a Canadian zone sort of place. It seemed right. like there were Stellar's Jays and things yeah. like that, yeah. uh, and pink-headed warblers were just all over the place. It was so cool, and I think. Uh, there was a saber wing there that was just all over the place too. I guess a green saber wing. I'm not sure saber wing. Uh, it's one of those uh, lacking hummingbirds. It was just yeah, yeah, really, really uh, aggressively displaying. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I, I love I loved it there. And the pink-headed warbler came right up to us as, as well too. Yeah, I think my favorite bird in Costa Rica though was the wine. Was it wine-throated? A wine-colored hummingbird? Wine-throated hummingbird? Yeah, like that's like that. A little tiny, tiny hummingbird. It's the coolest bird. Up in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was high in the mountains. We were looking for a quetzal. Didn't find a quetzal, but I was so happy. We had we had the 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 wine-throated hummingbird. We had. Oh, there was a solitaire there. I think it was a solitaire. It was oh, really? just singing, singing everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and oh, emerald, emerald toucan. Oh, just oh, the toucan. Yeah. yeah, emerald toucanet. Yes, just spectacularly green. Uh, just some really cool birds. Oh, yeah, I love it. I love the red, the red-headed barbet up there too. Oh when yes. You're, when you're in the mountains, it's so interesting. Like um, in the mountains, you always hear the solitaire singing. And yes. Sometimes you'll hear the the, the campana, the the, the bellbirds as well, and mm-hmm. it's like characteristic sound of the mountain. I remember just I was driving through Guatemala. I was funny story. I was I was in Guatemala. I flew into Guatemala two days before all the borders closed. Oh wow! So, so I had to drive five hours to Mexico to take a flight from Mexico to get back to Costa Rica. Now, <laughs> <laughs> on the drive down through the cloud forest of Guatemala, I just had the windows rolled down, and I get just the common solitaire sound, right? That solitaire sound, I just heard it the whole time as we were going through the cloud forest. Yeah. Is it brown is it brown back solitaire or something like that? Uh, there's the black black faced solitaire. That's the one that's makes that crazy okay. that really crazy sound. Maybe that's that. I don't know. I remember it was a solitaire and it was just constantly singing. It was yeah. just spectacular. Yeah. They you always hear them. They're very hard to see. I've seen it one time at mm. Uh, one of the places up in Costa Rica. Again, I forget the name of that one, but yeah, very cool. Kelly Talis, that was a really good one too. Nice. Uh, so you said you have several trips coming up uh, in 2021, COVID and all things willing. So what what are you doing right now? What, what have you been out birding much? I do go around locally. I'm always out in the jungle, but like I'll just go out behind. Like just in the last two weeks, I went out with a neighbor. We took a machete and we were out mm-hmm. tracking with no trail. <laughs> We like we saw this vine that was as big as us. We saw this fifteen hundred year old sandbox, maybe even two thousand. I don't know how old it was, but so I'll, I do go bird watching regularly around here. And then this year, even with the virus, I like once a month I'll take my kids that are ages six and four. And mm-hmm. we went we, this year. We've gone to Monteverde, Tortuguero, Quelitales, Rancho Naturalista. Uh, we've been to Uvita a couple of times, uh, San Manuel. Manuel Antonio. So we've like once a month, even with the virus this year, we, we've still gone around to a lot of different places in Costa Rica and seen some stuff. Yeah. I'm going to give you an optics tip. Uh, I learned this uh, oh, a long time ago. I had on as a guest, Ben Lizdas, who used to be the uh, optics person for Eagle Optics, I think. And then after that, he was with uh, Red Star Birding, which is the Birdwatcher's Digest uh, uh, sales 
You know, anyway, he turned me on to these binos for kids. They're Kawa 630s, and they are spectacular. They're like a hundred bucks, so you know, pretty affordable as, as optics go. Almost indestructible. You can drop them. They're armored. They're waterproof. They've got this really easy to focus. A big wheel. You don't have to go very far back and forth to focus. They'll narrow down to be really close together eyes, yet they'll go far wide enough apart for an adult. Mm. Uh, they're really nice optics, and uh, I bought I bought uh, two pair of them from my uh, girlfriend's grandsons, and they'll, they'll they just love them. Uh, so when your kids get a little older, Kawa 630s, they're great. Yeah, because right now their binoculars are the uh, used toilet paper rolls. That's where you start. That's exactly how I try. my kids learned with the same thing. Uh, you know, learn to bring them up to your eyes instead of searching with them up at your eyes, that sort of thing. But they're getting they're getting ready. They're six years old, probably in a year or two, be ready for some bins. That's my tip. Okay. The Kawa 630s, they're really, really great children-friendly binoculars. Yeah, we have so much fun when we go out. I bet you do. Uh, it is. Kids that age are just, oh, wow. I can remember. It was a lot of fun. And then five or seven years later, Dad, you're just going to go bird watching. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> I've, got, I've got a great story with my kids when they were, oh, they were probably fourth and fifth grade, you know, that, that age, just old enough to think they are, are getting pretty smart, you know. Uh, and uh, there was a pod of orcas at Bremerton. Uh, I mean, 30 whales, 40 whales, I don't know, a big pod that was feasting on a chum salmon run there. And they were, they'd been there for days. I took, I had a day off from work. I took my wife down and we just, oh, we went out on a boat and just, it was the most spectacular whale show I've ever seen in Puget Sound. Mm -hmm. And I, I told the kids, I said, Kids, I'm taking work off tomorrow. I'm taking you out of school. We're going and seeing these orcas. It's just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Right. And they said, Dad, you say you're not going to see whales. You're just going to get us to go bird watching. We're not going to go out of school to go bird watching. And I could not convince them to skip school for a day and go watch a pot of orcas. It's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I must have done something wrong there. I don't know what it was. But anyway, uh, now they're both very much in nature. And, and, but at that, at that age, they were sick of dad bird watching all the time. They knew that. I'm seeing orcas is the best. I mean, I went kayaking with killer whales and orcas, and we saw we at the camp on White Cliff Islets off the coast of Vancouver Island for mm -hmm. five days. And we had a 360-degree view of killer whales, no, sorry, humpback whales breaching around us all like all day like at sunset it was crazy oh yeah it's uh whales are pretty special i live uh where i can see part of commencement bay here in tacoma so real oh, maybe twice in three years that i've been here i've seen whales at the front windows pretty cool wow yeah that's nice that's nice so jason tell me what else you want to share about birding costa rica your lodge whatever else like uh, tell me what i need to know i mean the main thing about birding costa rica i mean come take your time, visit lots of different areas, come here at different times of the year. Uh, one of the, the cool things about where we're at uh, in Puerto Viejo is it's right next to the tower. Uh, it's where it's really good to see the hawk migrations. Mm. And the, the peak, peak time to do it is like the third or fourth week of October, where you, sometimes you can see upwards of 200,000 hawks a day. I've heard that that is the single... Western Hemisphere Tower that has the highest hawk count. You know, the uh, there are a couple of 
collections of towers that have more, but for one single tower, that is the highest annual hot count in uh, North and South America. It's truly spectacular. And even if you're not right at the tower, like even at my retreat center, you still see migrating hawks, swallows, and, and other birds overhead as well too. And it's between February to April and also September to November. So during those six months out of the year, you can see hawks migrating hundred like you can a lot of times during the day you can see hundreds going at any given time. You'll um, well they spiral upwards and then they're kind of like going in the super highway across the sky. But then there are some times where you can see like tens of thousands. Um, yeah. one time in a twenty minute period I saw like at least at least thirty at least thirty thousand hawks. At least thirty thousand hawks. That's that's great. Hawk watches are so cool. One of my early birding experiences. I started birding as a as an adult, and uh, my wife got me into it. And we went to Butler Preserve in New York. It was I was stationed. I was in the Army, stationed at West Point. Went to the Butler Preserve, and we just kind of showed up and didn't know what to expect. And we were kind of boggled. They had bleachers set up, uh, and. Uh, it was right on the edge of a cliff, and it was not anything like that experience. But there were hundreds of hawks going by. It was just, I was blown away. And that these guys could identify them at unbelievable distances, you know, just I, like. I know. Uh, oh my, well, with, sometimes with the hawks here, oftentimes you can see them with the naked eye, but sometimes mm-hmm. they're so high mm-hmm. that there can be 10,000 hawks going right by you, right overhead. And, and you, you have to look up to see them with bins. Yeah, you have to see. Yeah, only with the binoculars. That's it. And otherwise, with the bare eye, you can't see them. Yeah, the the hawk watchers would. Uh, that was one of the things that how they tell you how far a bird was. If it was naked eye, it meant you could see a speck in the sky without your bins. Right. But if it, if it, if it had to, said it was use your bins, then you had to use <laughs> your binoculars because you couldn't even see the speck in the sky. Right. And yeah. I think that's amazing that you can have tens of thousands of hawks migrating above you and not be able to see them. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, I am excited to get there. Next time I come down, I'll have to make an o- October. After October is the, yeah. the prime time. Well, September, October are the two sunniest months on the Caribbean side of Costa Rica when the ocean is the flattest, when it's the rainiest on the other side of Costa Rica. Mm, so a good time to come there. Yeah, I would. Gene and Alan really like to visit the, the, the Caribbean during that time of year. So I'll probably have an opportunity to do that. Uh, when I was there in, I wanted, I can't remember if it was late August or early September. It was around then. It was black vulture migration. There were just black vultures everywhere. You know, just on, on the bike ride from from Playa Chiquita up to Puerto Nuevo. Uh, Oh, I don't even know. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of black vultures on the poles, on the wires, on the, in the trash cans, just everywhere. <laughs> they are. They're always here. They're always here. Is that year round? There, there's always a certain amount of them in the trash cans in town, flying around all the time. You'll always see them, and I, they they could be higher at certain times of the year. But I'm pretty sure it was migration because they were just masses of them going by. Yeah, when there's masses of them, then then that's also migration time too. Yeah, yeah. And I got zone-tailed hawks mixed with them. I was pretty happy about that. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. That was cool. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast today. Can't wait to meet you in person when I get to Costa Rica. I'll definitely have to look you up and uh, make sure we can get out birding together. Okay, that sounds good. I look forward to meeting you in person too. And I'll make sure that I put in the podcast notes the, uh, the URL of your lodge and how to get a hold of you in case people want to catch up with you. That sounds great. Thanks so much. Take care. Okay, bye-bye.
Well, that wraps up the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 86 with Jason Westlake, and also happens to wrap up the last Bird Banner Podcast of the year 2020. 2020 has been a challenging year for so many reasons I don't even want to talk about them politically and from the pandemic and health and emotional standpoint. Uh, It's been a really difficult year for a lot of those in the birding industry, and I want to pray and hope and wish for 2021 to As time goes by, evolve into a fabulous year for all of us. So I wish you a happy new year. And until next time, good birding, good day.